You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. This is Chuck Marone with Strong Towns. Welcome back to the Strong Towns podcast. You have seen the videos from Not Just Bikes. If you've not seen the videos from Not Just Bikes, you need to go on YouTube and, and watch all of them right now. You will be there for the next uh, many, many hours and you will find that well worth your time. Jason Slaughter is the creator behind Not Just Bikes. He's been on the podcast before. Jason, welcome back uh, to Strong Towns. Uh, thanks so much, Chuck. It's really good to be here again. It's cool to chat with you. One of your latest videos, and we try to, re- I think we tried to record this a few weeks ago. <laughs> but uh, it's going to be ancient a, by the time anyone hears this. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a few weeks old now, but because you've had a couple more that are really good. But the one I wanted to talk to you about really badly is titled "America Always Gets This Wrong When Building Transit." Describe American transit for me. You say in the video, "bad, efficient, inefficient, slow." Let me give you the floor and and just talk about American (laughs) transit and contrast that with the transit that you're living with as a, do we call you an expat? I don't know what we call you living in. in, I usually call myself an immigrant, to be honest, because an an expat is a person who is typically on a limited time thing and plans to come home, if you will. And I do not plan to come. So you have a new home in Amsterdam, but you're very familiar with North America. So of course, yes. And I've lived in the US and I've lived in Canada. Give us a rundown of transit over here and contrast that with over there. Yeah, so I've taken transit many times in the U.S. and in Canada. When I think of the typical North American transit experience, I think back to when I was a teenager before I had my driver's license. And I had these buses that said they would come every half hour or every hour or every 45 minutes. But that could be anywhere plus or minus another half hour on top of that. And, uh, And then two buses would come at once. (laughs) yes i can't tell you how many times in my life i stood out in the cold at one of those bus shelters or at a metal stick in the ground staring off down the road thinking how much longer is this going to be and i mean that's that's the transit experience in a lot of the u.s and canada with very few exceptions i mean there are some places where you could take transit to get to where you're going you know if you were in new york city or in chicago or something like that but the majority of places you're going to be reliant on a bus that is not going to come on time and it's going to get stuck in traffic and it's probably going to be an older bus that's uh that's clunking along and uh and, and it's not a good experience whereas you know when i when i think about taking transit now and i take it on a regular basis it's clean and it's efficient. And, you know, I I tap my card and I go. And even since that video was made, I spent a week in Switzerland and that's, that's to a whole other level on top of that. And and I recently just, just released a video this week about uh, the, the experience of taking the train in Switzerland, you know, where, where you've got buses and trams and they're coming by so often you don't even need to look at a schedule. You just show up, you know, you, you know, what destination you're going to, you just show up. The vehicle comes there, it takes you off, you connect to somewhere else. And in the case of the Netherlands and in Switzerland, the timetables are scheduled so that when one vehicle arrives, the next one's about to leave five minutes later and you get there on time, you go to your next train or your next tram or your next bus or your next gondola, and it takes you takes you off to where you want to go. And it's, you know, it's clean and efficient. You don't have to think about it too much. I mean, it's a night and day experience. 
I, I run a YouTube channel about my experiences living in different places in the world and about urban planning and the, and the things, the reasons for this. And urban planning is one of those topics that everyone seems to have an opinion on, uh, but most people know very little about it. You know, a lot of people come with these missing expectations about why is it this way? Um, anyway, but we can get into it, the history of it in the U.S. and everything else. I think my experience, both in Europe and here in the U.S., it has to do with the floor and the ceiling on how good does something get versus how poor something is. And you can go to Washington, D.C., you can go to New York, and you can have what I think, and I, I think you would agree with this, would be good transit service. Not amazing, not great, but, but good transit service. But the floor here in the U.S. is so ridiculous. I have literally seen benches on the side of a six lane strode with no sidewalk surrounded by a ditch. That is a legit, like this is a bus, like a bus actually stops here twice a day. The floor in Europe is nowhere near that, right? I mean, if, if we were gonna say like, what is the worst transit experience you could possibly have in Europe? Not as an anomaly, like something breaks. I've been on a bus that, that broke down once and you know, okay, I get it. But, you know, something that would be a daily expectation. The floor is, there's just no, I don't even know any African or Asian countries that would have a, a lower floor as we do here in the U.S. Talk a little bit about the floor. How low can it go? The floor in Europe is not going to be anywhere close to the floor in the United States. Oh, my God, no. Um, first of all, you'd have to be in a very low population place. Like, I think one of the big distinctions is that you could have a very low floor of service in somewhere like Atlanta, which is a very large city with millions of people living there, uh, which if, if you take any city that size in Asia or in, in Europe, it's just it, you're, you're just not going to have that low, low, low level of service. So first, in order to look at the, the sort of worst service you'd get, you'd have to be in a, an area of very low population. So some village somewhere or some small town or something like that. And then you would expect that there, the only transit would be some kind of a bus that would take you to the nearest train station and maybe it only goes once an hour or something like that. But that's kind of what you're talking about. Whereas, you know, the town I grew up in, in London, Ontario, Canada, routinely has buses that only come once an hour and it's a it's a city with you know 420 430,000 people right right i feel like that was the to me just from an experiential level and i guess i wanted to start there because it feels like the idea of raising the floor off of such a low bar should not be that difficult here right i mean like the feedback and you start with this in the video the idea that we don't have enough people here to have good transit or we don't have the density to have good transit. You brought up London, fake London, as you call it. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I don't know if people find you funny or not. I, you're, you're my, you're my kind of humor. Like, I don't, I don't think my kids would find you funny because they don't find me funny. My but, kids don't find me funny either. Okay. Well, we have that in common then talk a little bit about this idea that, you have to have a certain critical mass of people in order to even ponder a transit system. I mean, that was the thing that kind of kicked off the video and the reason why it exists. Um, that, and this actually plays off of some previous videos that I've done where these kind of objections come out. 
so there's a couple of things. One of them was about a strode in my hometown called Wonderland Road. I made a video about it where Wonderland Road is is four lanes plus turning lanes. It's rammed with traffic every day and the city wants to do something about it. So they looked into widening it from four lanes to six lanes. And, Make it a uh, true wonderland. Right, right? exactly. A right. true wonderland. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> so, so aptly named. The project was called Discover Wonderland. Like really <laughs> turning a four lane strode to a six lane strode is called Discover Wonderland. And I made this video about this saying like, this is bonkers, but it was also the largest infrastructure project in history for my hometown widening a four lane strode to a six lane strode, the largest infrastructure project in history, which is insane to me. Uh, anyway, the city eventually decided they, they couldn't do it. They said it was for environmental reasons, but when you really look into it, a lot of it was just came down to cost. They just can't afford this. And so then they were looking at what's the alternative, blah, blah, blah. And, and there were, there's all this talk about that. And I was even on the radio in my hometown to discuss this. And they were saying, well, what would you do about it? And, it, and there's nothing you can do about Wonderland Road in isolation. Like it is not about Wonderland Road. Wonderland Road is a four lane strode in a city that is designed with like a sea of asphalt. So you can't just say what's the fix to Wonderland Road. There is no fix to just Wonderland Road. It gets into a larger conversation because my city also uh, over the past geez, it's been 10 years now, has been talking about a rapid transit plan. So this is a city with 420, 430,000 people. You can look it up, London, Ontario, Canada, and it has no rapid transit at all. The only transit that exists in that city is buses that share the road with cars and that get stuck in traffic. And frequencies on those buses are, you know, every half hour or something like that. And it may be possible that there's, there's some higher frequency routes, but uh, it's, it's not good coverage. It doesn't go where you want to go and it doesn't come often. When you say rapid transit, mm -hmm. I know that there are people who are listening who are, they put in their mind high-speed rail. Right. You're, you're, you're not talking anything like that. You're just Absolutely talking like, like reliable, frequent service is what yes. you're talking about. And, and, yeah. and in particular, even buses in their own right of way, a BRT system, a bus rapid transit would be, I would consider rapid transit. In the case of my hometown, they were talking about an LRT, uh, light rail transit, which, you know, Europeans would call trams, but any, whatever. This is the new name because streetcars have a bad name in North America, usually because they got stuck in traffic all the time. And, you know, you, you think you had to, to take them out, to, right? Yeah, you got to take them out. Streetcars have a bad name. So we got to call them LRTs now. But so they had talked about an LRT plan, which was going to be fairly simple, like a cross structure going through downtown, one east, west, one north, south, LRT. Pretty simple stuff, really. But then they decided that the ridership numbers weren't high enough. And there was always this discussion in there saying, we don't have the population for an LRT. I mean, oh, an LRT, you know. And, and this is where in the video, I went through the list of cities in Germany and made a typo, which is great because got lots of uh, comments on, on that. Uh, but anyway, made a list of all the cities in Germany. And I think there were 40 cities in Germany with a lower population than my hometown. There were even a couple that I didn't include because their metro population was a little bigger. So there's about 40 cities and they have trams, right? And of course they have trams. You don't need a huge population to have trams. I think the lowest on that list was 10,000 people or 20,000 people. But there's this constant talk in, in Canada, and, I, and I've heard it in the U.S. as well, but I mostly follow this in Canada, where they say, we don't have the population for an LRT. And it's stuck in people's minds that these 
these strode filled uh, exurbs and and suburbs are these I, I don't know people think of them as like these pastoral villages or something and they, they, these rural places that we you know that that's a city thing us folk over here can't have an lrt and it's it just seems really bizarre to me look the point is these cities are more than large enough to have a tram like that and and, and so then the question is what is it that's holding why don't back, they right? right why don't they i wanted to tell you something and i don't think this will surprise you it might surprise some of the the people listening Brainerd, Minnesota, my hometown where I'm, I'm sitting right now, 13,500 people today, 13,500 people at the end of World War II, right? So we've had the same population today as we had back then. Of course, we have Dial-A-Ride now, which is, it's a small bus that you call and then it, it it's like a glorified taxi service. It is the worst of transit, actually. Back, I want to say it was until the 1950s, we had a streetcar line that went from our south of town through the downtown, then went over to the Northeast out to where the, the paper mill was, where the big employer was, and then went back. And, and people who live south of town could, could take it to work. Anybody in the Northeast or the South could take it to the downtown and it went back and forth all day. It was electric. It ran on a rail. The rail is still there. Like every now and then we do a project and dig up the old, uh, the old rail line. My little town had this. It was one of these things where it always blows my mind when people say we're too small for it because I'm like, what, what, what actually is too small? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't get that idea. It's not size, right? It's something else. What is that something else? I mean, what, if we were going to try to categorize it, what would it be? Yeah. And I think uh, people will say that something else is density, but I don't even think density is the right word. I agree um, with you hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not it, because when, as soon as you start talking about density, people think, you know, Manhattan skyscrapers and things like that. It, it's not even about density. I've been to places that would, I mean, they're certainly more dense than a sea of single family homes, but they, you wouldn't call them dense. It really comes down to the land use around transit. And that's fundamentally what the video is about. And this is what I really wanted to get to people because I had touched on this in my Wonderland Road video. I had touched on this in my business parks video, but it just wasn't sinking in with people about it's all about the land use around transit. And what I argue in there is that rapid transit needs good land use but also good land use needs rapid transit. And you simply can't have one without the other. They are absolutely linked together because what you have to look at with transit, and I think you mentioned this in your book, that you can look at that kind of transit as like a, a walking accelerator, right? So you've got a walkable neighborhood where you've got most of the things you need within walking distance of your house. And that's fine. But every once in a while, you're going to need to go a little bit farther. Or maybe there's something that, you know, it's it's walkable, but it might take you 25 minutes. And so you hop on a tram or you hop on a bus to get there. And it's a walking accelerator. But the idea is that when you get out at that stop, you're still in a walkable area. You know, maybe in between, it could be farms for all I know. But the point is, when you get off of that rapid transit stop, you're somewhere where you can walk to your destination. And, and fundamentally, this is what we're missing in North America. Because if I think about, you know, even if they did build a, a light rail or a bus rapid transit that dropped you off at Wonderland Road, it would drop you off at the side of a four, maybe someday six lane strode at the edge of a parking lot. And th 
that's insane. I mean, that's the, then that's fundamentally the problem. I mean, nobody is going to take that. So it, it, it's nothing to do with the population of the city and everything to do with when you step off that transit vehicle, where are you? Can I quote you? Yeah. And again, I, I, I laughed out loud. You said successful transit needs two things, people to ride it and destinations people want to go. <laughs> and, and it's... <laughs> Here's why it's so funny, because it's like you're explaining how paperclip works, right? Like, let me guide you through this. I know. And I think I said in the video, startling revelations here, you know, like. Yes, yes. But that's the level of discourse. I know you acknowledge that you're not like some licensed trained professional doing transit studies and planning. I get it. Granted, I feel like this is a level of discourse often inside transit agencies too. Like, I, I feel like there's a lot of people who say, well, of course we get that. But when you start like developing the projects and looking at things, those two very simple precepts seem to get divorced from any reality of how we actually make things work. Your videos are so, are so compelling. I mean, there's a reason why 900,000 people have watched this transit video. It's a really good video. You show the pictures of the sidewalks people are expected to walk across, the parking lots people are expected to walk across, the massive transit investments that are literally surrounded by parking lot and, and you know many, many kilometers, as you would say, many miles for Americans from anything you would actually want to go to. Is this an experience you ever have in, in the Netherlands? Is this an experience you ever have anywhere else? Is this just unique to us in North America? You know, honestly, I can't imagine a a transit vehicle dropping me off on and, and expecting me to to walk like that, like in almost any other place I've been to in the world. I, I mean, I can remember a a a bus I took in, in Mexico that cost me a dollar and a half or something and was a 1970s school bus from America that had been painted in fancy colors. And they dropped me off at the edge of a road and said, it's just down there. I mean, that that's the kind of level I'm thinking about here, though. Like in a transit agency within a city, that's just it's insane. And and sometimes I, I wonder when I'm when I'm experiencing thing, these things and I'm making these videos, I'm like, like, do people do other people not get this, that this is a problem? Like so one of the things I featured in that video was there's a. Um, a project in Mississauga, Ontario, Canada, a suburb of, uh, of of Toronto, where I used to live and work. And they have a project called the Transit Way, which is a bus rapid transit. And it's actually built to a great spec. And it's fantastic. I had made a video about my experience being an, in a business park in Mississauga, and I worked there. I And I took the bus every day because I was a poor student. And that was a horrible experience to take that bus. And when I, I made I that video... I have this image of you doing it, actually. <laughs> 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 oh my god! Was, I could I could picture you walking along this nasty strode, right? Like exactly. Your your soul being crushed. Uh, well, poor Jason. <laughs> there is a reason why my channel exists because these experiences that I lived through for so many years of my life, and I mean, I had always just think, well, this is the way it is, right? You know, you know, if you don't like it, get a car. And since living in Asia and living in Europe, I'm like, what the hell? Why did I ever need to go through this? But Anyway, when I made that video, I got pushback from some people saying, hey, 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 you know, we have a good BRT here, too. We have this Mississauga Transit Way. And and again, it's built to a really great spec and the and the the, the stations are like really nice and they have these like well manicured gardens out front and it costs a lot of money. It was over half a billion dollars Canadian to build it. 
And some of the stations have something around it that you might want to go to. But this thing's been around since I think it was 2014, I said. And that one station that I filmed, the one that theoretically, if I, if I had still lived in Mississauga and if I still worked in that business park, I would have to get out at this particular station. That's why I featured it. When you walk out of this beautiful station with the concrete and glass and metal and you step out, you're on a four lane intersection of two four lane strodes and the sidewalk, it's like 30 centimeters wide, which I don't know, you can say whatever that is in inches. I don't know, but, but it's like, it's like a foot. It's like, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like I, I step out of this half billion dollar project onto this. I mean, it's barely a curb next to high speed traffic. And I have to walk a kilometer along this to get to where my office was. And I, and I looked at this, you know, after getting all the flack from people about, you know, well, we have BRT here too, and you're not really being fair. And I went and looked at this and I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you people? Like this, this is not acceptable at all. This drops me off at a corner where there's a, of nothing and nothing. The, in the video, I showed that across the street, there were some houses, but it's the back of the houses with their fences. You can't go into the neighborhood that way. So any way you go from that transit stop, you have to walk along, you know, choose your strode. And, and, and this has been around since 2014, and it's still like this. And I, and I look at this and I think like, how did anybody, anybody, anywhere along the path that requires the approval of a 500 and whatever it is, million dollar project, not look at this and say, this is insane. Um, and, uh, and, and so when, when I'm talking about, you know, transit needs good land use, this isn't even just bad land use. This is atrocious land use. This is completely and totally unacceptable land use. And we get surprised in North America that, that nobody takes transit. I mean, of course they don't take transit. Why would anybody who can afford a car do that? Right. You just said something that I know will rile up some people because, well, in the book, I call it a charitable overlay, you know, transit as a, as a charitable overlay to the, the rest of the transportation system. And people got very upset with me about that because it's like you are, uh, you're disrespecting people. You're not, I feel like our transit systems disrespect people. I feel like we treat them as charitable overlays and, and, and the result of that is that the people building and designing and, and working on them are delivering systems that don't really think about the end user and treat them with respect. We treat it as if this is charity, so be happy with the scraps you get, you know? You know, I mean, if anybody says that I'm disrespecting these people, I, I am absolutely not disrespecting these people. I was these people. And you are absolutely correct that this is disrespectful to them. And when I'm talking about, when I talked about the Mississauga Transitway, this is really great transit by North American standards. I mean, this is dedicated transit in its own right of way with brand new stations. This is, this is great. But that's not the case for most people in North America. They don't get that. Most people in North America get a pole in the ground next to the side of the strode. Maybe it's paved. Maybe it's not. And it's got a little sign on it that says the route number of the bus. And that's it. That's what they're given. And, and it is so incredibly disrespectful because you're riding on this poorly maintained bus in most cases. It's clunking along. It's got diesel fumes coming out of it. It's a very unpleasant experience. It's jostling back and forth. But, but I think, you know, even if you 
bought newer buses, you, you drop people off in the middle of nowhere. I mean, really, honestly, is that what is that acceptable? Like I, I've shown in other videos in my hometown where maybe there's a bench, but it's a bench. And then it's another, you know, half kilometer across parking lots to get <laughs> right. to anywhere you want to go. Right. And I mean, this is this is completely and totally unacceptable. Let me throw you a curve. I'll maybe make this an offer to you because I, I would love to have you come visit sometime. The best middle class transit. So I, I, let's let's take New York and and D.C., Chicago. Let's take it out of the mix and say, where is the best middle-class transit. And by middle-class, I mean the transit that a typical or even like an, an, an above typical median income family will gladly ride and feel joyous and happy doing it. Where, where is this in North America? And I'm going to answer my own question. Okay. It's at Disney World. I don't know if you've ever been, but ridiculous. I, I sit and watch people because I'm, I'm fascinated by the transportation system. You know, you've got the monorail, you've got boats, you've got buses, they have high frequency, they have reliability, they drop you off right at the door, they deliver you from destination to destination. And the fascinating thing about it is that people who would in normal circumstances absolutely despise and, and fight against and, 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 you know, devalue the types of investments that deliver that pay you know, massive amount, like insane amounts of money to go and live for a week in Wonderland, <laughs> literally not Wonderland Road, but literally <laughs> Wonderland, where they can go from a high density living place with, you know, mixed use development, get on a bus, go to a shopping area, get on a bus, go to a recreation area, and they do it with ease. And they pay a premium to be able to do it. I, I, I don't feel like this is the broken humans rejecting this lifestyle. I feel like this is the humans rejecting what has been delivered to them, but also being kind of force-fed a diet of auto-oriented type of design. Can you talk a little bit about the, the auto-oriented and grow and react yeah. to that? And, and well, I think there's there's two things I would say to that. Um, the first, and I hear this all the time in transit discourse in North America. The first is that people make the assumption that because a certain type of transit does not work where they live, that type of transit does not work. That is a very, very common thing. Like people will say like, Oh, come on. You know, I, I, it'll take me two and a half hours to take the bus, but I could drive there in 35 minutes. Therefore, buses are terrible. And I'm like, no, the way that your city has been designed and the way your transportation infrastructure is designed is terrible. Buses work just fine in lots of places in the world. And so do trams and so do trains and everything else. Sorry, the other thing I was going to say about the Disneyland is that I constantly hear from North Americans who go to on vacation to Europe and they have such a lovely time and you hear them talk about it and like, oh, there was this great cafe just down the street from our hotel and we got on the, you know, the tube or we got on the tram and it took us right to this wonderful little place and, you know, and then they come back to their strode lined hellscape as i like to call it and uh -huh. uh, and and they fight you know for every last parking spot and you know every hey target lane. has a starbucks now yeah i know right <laughs> and it's it's just it's there's this there's this this mentality there that that oh that's there and this is here and we can't be like that and you hear it also in the discourse it's like oh, oh europe's old 
And, you know, they have these medieval streets, so of course they could do this. Well, you know, most of Amsterdam was built after 1960. The vast majority of the land area of, of Amsterdam was built after 1960. We have the towns of uh, Almera and Lelystad that were built on reclaimed land. They were both built in the 1980s, and they're not like this. I mean, it's, it's not about that at all. But people get it in their heads that this is there and that is there, and, you know, it, these things have to be different. But it really does come down to the choices that have been made to make things car-centric. And like I talked about in the video coming back then, like, that it really is good transit, good land use have to come together. When, when your restrictions in your city require minimum parking requirements, when they require these big lane roads, when every time you want to put in a shop, you need to have the parking and then you need to do the traffic study in order to widen the roads enough for the expected amount of traffic, that that determines what that land use is going to be that you you are your hands are tied here as to what you could actually build even if you were a developer and and the number of problems with this are huge i mean banks don't want to finance something different because there's a risk and everything else as you well know and i'm sure a lot of your listeners know but even if you were a developer that says look i want to build the most wonderful walkable development that that the world has ever seen you will just come up to every single step of the way. There is something in there that has been put in to make things car friendly that you have to, to overcome. Then you end up with the Wonderland Road problem where you've gone and you've built this with wide roads. You've gone and built this with free parking and too much parking. You've gone and built this so that there's literally no other way to get around but a car. And then you suddenly fill up your roads and then you're suddenly broke and then you, you can't deal with your traffic. And then you come and look at, say, oh, well, you know, transit actually seems to work really well over there in Europe. So why don't we just add some transit, you know, sprinkle a little transit on here and the problem is solved. And I think I called it the transit band-aid in the video. But that's the way that's the way it's approached. It's approached as like we hit this wall that that we've we've run ourselves into because of uh, we've designed literally everything exclusively for cars. So now, now where do we stick the transit? And that was exactly the frustrating part of my interview with CBC Radio London, where they said, well, if you had infinite money, what would you do with Wonderland Road? And I'm like, how do I <laughs> even begin down. to answer that question? Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. anyway, and, 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 and the truth is, like, it's, it's so much more than Wonderland Road. It's so much more than any strode in any city in North America. It really comes down to land use. We need to go back this idea that you can build a building and not have to stick six parking lots next to it. You know, we have to get this idea that you can build something and not need to widen the strode. It's like we need to design at a human scale. We need to design for walking first. And the major thing I advocate on my channel is everything needs to be designed for walking. And then everything else that you need needs to be added in so much as it's compatible with walking. Yeah. You have a gift for framing things and explaining things in a simple way, in a way that 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 resonates. I write a chapter in a book, and I feel like you summarize it in in two sentences. I might just let you write the next one. Yeah, I could be your editor, but then it'll just be a pamphlet. <laughs> a transit plan without a land use plan is a waste of time and resources. But a land use plan without transit is a lost opportunity. That first part was like, I, I get it. And, 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 and I, I, that made a lot of sense. The second part of it being a lost opportunity, as soon as you say it, I'm like, yes, I, I'm with you. But I think it's something that, you know, the, the people deeply immersed in transit 
often struggle to to do the land use part. The people who are really deep in land use, which is kind of where I have started with this, struggle often to integrate the transit part in. You you brought up new urbanism, and I think quite I think quite fairly, uh, new urbanists build beautiful places when they're not connected to transit. Lost opportunity. I want to give you just a couple of minutes to elaborate on that because I, I felt like this dichotomy of a waste of time and resources and a lost opportunity really got at something powerful. Because when I look at London, when I look at Mississauga, when I look at uh, Wonderland Road, I'm I'm seeing all the pieces, right? I, I see all the ingredients. All the ingredients are there. They're just arranged and aligned and, and constructed in a way that squanders our wealth and squanders our opportunity. Um, Go elaborate on that a little bit. Well, and this is what I actually really liked about the things that you've written about um, transit and what you wrote in your book, but also in your your articles on Strong Towns over the previous uh, years, where you really talk about this idea that we have these walkable places, and they certainly exist in London, Ontario. There's two there's two examples that I use in in the video. One of them is the downtown, which was, oh my God, it makes me cry when I look at historical photos of what that place used to look like. It was stunningly beautiful. It's funny when I was was talking about it compared to Swiss cities, some, somebody said, well, you know, that, that's because they get so many tourists there. And I was like, well, you know, if, if this place still looked like that, we'd get tourists too, right? People would flock from all over North America to come see what our downtown used to look like. The bones of it are still there, but a lot of it is surface parking lots now. And then the other one was, uh, was a place called Wortley Village, uh, which is just uh, used to be its own little um, downtown, uh, own little village, and then it was annexed by London in the late 19th century or something like that. But the point is, we have these places, and they exist, and they're decaying. You've seen it in Brainerd. Uh, everybody has seen it. If they've been to any old downtown in almost any place in North America, they've seen it. It's there. How do we fix these places, right? And Strong Towns has the best advice for fixing these places that I've read anywhere, which is why I send people over to you all the time. But I think the transit is the big important piece here because you have this opportunity for a, a mixed-use, walkable place. We could bring these places back, but ultimately they need to be connected to the other good places that still exist. And we need the walking extenders, the transit, to get us between these places. So if you could live in one of these places, in one of these older style neighborhoods, and you could conceivably take a, a bus or a tram that leaves so frequently you don't need to look at a schedule, and you know and you can rely on it to get you to the other place downtown, which is the place that you could work or shop, then this is, this is really fundamentally what transit can do. And this is, this is the wealth multiplier that you talk about so often in strong towns, that Transit can be that wealth multiplier because now it brings value to that place because then that, that place is not an island anymore. Now that place is connected to another place and it's connected by transit. And I think that's the real opportunity that we're missing out on in, in North America. It feels like people have tried to address this problem here with what is, is called transit-oriented development. This idea that we will get really smart people who will come in and they will not only build the transit, but they'll build the land use around it. And we can solve these problems and, and not have such ridiculous outcomes if we do it this way. Or we can go into all these 
transit stations we've built uh, surrounded by parking lots and now we'll intensely develop them. And there's a part of me that that immediately says, yes, like this is this is part of the answer, yeah. right? Like yeah, this yeah. is this has got to be. But the video you have the video you have tapped into exactly what my hesitation on all of this is showing the pictures of the the, the big towers right next to the single family homes. And I, I'm just thinking about the army of NIMBYs that are being built around these stations because we are you know incapable of doing things in I'm going to say a moderate way. I, I think moderate is maybe the wrong word because I, I, I'm not, we're talking about something that would be a, a degree of change, but talk a little bit about the effect of transit oriented development here in the U S and, and how that, how that differs from the other places you've experienced around the world where I don't think you are minting NIMBYs as you, as you build these things out. This is also something that Strong Towns has mentioned that I hope to make a video about someday where you talk about like no neighborhood should be exempt from change, but no neighborhood should undergo radical change. And I think that's just an absolutely fantastic statement. We do have this problem, though, that many neighborhoods have not undergone change for 70, 80 years. And there is this pent up demand. There's a housing crisis like we've never seen. And we have this issue where we need to build and so transit-oriented development seems like the obvious way to do it i i often joke when talking about transit-oriented development that you know people say what is transit-oriented development like in in other parts of the world and i'm like it's just the way you build things it doesn't have a word it doesn't have a name it's just that of course that's what you do it's so bizarre to even have a term for it it's like we've we've gone so far in one direction towards car supremacy that we need a term to, to for normal, say what we've right. done forever. <laughs> um, so that's that's the way I feel about that. But again, yeah, the problem is, is that we've got these situation. And I think the example I used in Toronto is is really fantastic because there is a subway line and they don't have a lot of them, but there is a major subway line that goes through Young Street. And then they are building across Eglinton a, an LRT that opens next year. And it's a really big deal. It's it's, you know, Toronto hasn't had a lot of rapid transit, and this is the biggest rapid transit project that they had in a long time. And this is a city with, you know, over 2 million people, the largest city in Canada. The... Anyway, so they're building this and they're doing transit-oriented development, but what they do in Toronto is what they call the Avenues Plan, which is they take the big avenue, they take the Eglinton, they take the Young, and they densify the avenues. Um, of course, when the pressure has been built up so much in the housing market, as soon as you let the pressure out in one spot, you know, it bursts out, right? And that's exactly what you see. These huge towers go up because there's such a pent up demand for housing. And finally, finally, you release it of its, you know, exclusive single family zoning and a developer will come in and obviously they want that plot of land, but they're not going to go and build a townhouse on that piece of land. They're not going to build a three or four story apartment building, as you'd see in Europe, that would be insane. The pressure is so high that they build a 30 story condo tower. But because they've only densified the avenues, you can go literally one block in from the avenue and there it is, the single family homes right there. And you can be literally a two minute walk from a transit station, the, the busiest subway in the city and the newest, biggest rapid transit project in the city. And you've got a single family home there. And it's just like, 
I I get it. You don't want to undergo radical change. But the problem is we've built up so much pressure here by not having change for so long that, that, that we get these crazy situations. Whereas if you looked at that kind of situation in Europe, and I used an example in the video about Eiberg, which is a, a piece of reclaimed land in Amsterdam near the center, and they built it, the tram and the buildings were built at the same time. So the tram actually opened just as the first residents were moving in. So they built their lives around transit, as I said. But the the whole area there is, of course, walkable. And there are actually, that there aren't detached, detached single-family homes, but there are um, uh, single-family townhomes in that area. There are apartment buildings that are about three stories high. There are a variety of, of buildings around this area. And they... they are for all kinds of people. There are there are units, you know, single bedroom units for single people. There are townhomes for larger families. There's everything like that, and it's all within walking distance of of this tram line. There's not a single uh, high rise in the area, and and there's nothing particularly wrong with high rises. I don't have an issue with with condo towers, and I've lived in them myself in downtown Toronto. But to to have those extremes is, is what I see in North America. It's only the extremes. Either you live in the single family home or you live in the, the 30 uh, story condo tower and there's nothing in between. Whereas in Europe, there's only in between. You, you, in, a, in a new neighborhood like that, I mean, you can find single family detached homes in Europe. They'll be a little bit out of town and fine. But when you're building a new development like this, there's going to be townhomes, there's going to be apartment buildings, but it's only going to be that middle. It's neither going to be the extreme on either side. And it's just so different in, in the whole approach to everything. And, and I think this, is, uh, this narrative I just get so annoyed with, um, this response that I get from people in North America when I say, maybe we should build something other than single-family homes, and they'll say, I don't want to live in a concrete box in the sky. Like right. as if there's nothing in between those two things. Right, there's but, two choices on But I can't on, really on the blame shelf. them because when you walk around their cities, that's what you see. It occurs to me as you were discussing this, just how that dichotomy or that 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 flood of capital into the avenues is actually enhanced by the fact that the 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 design of the avenue, the which are typically like strode designs, actually devalue the land along it. It it, it makes it so you don't want to live along it. And it, 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 it almost creates this situation where uh, we'll build towers to house people who can't afford single family homes or, or are in the period of their life cycle where they were not able to get into that single family home when it was priced, you know, in a good way. And, you know, for everybody else, you get, like you say, a block, you're, you're, you're two blocks from the transit station, uh, with your own built-in NIMBY zoning codes and what have you to fight the next iteration of building a walkable place. That, this seems like the most dysfunctional way to build transit. I quite frankly don't see people doing it well here in North America. I, I, I'm sure that people listening can send in examples of like, oh, we've got it figured out and we're doing this well, but I, I have not experienced that. And I've experienced a lot of North American transit. Yeah. I mean, I referenced a, uh, a video by City Beautiful, who, who is an urban planner. He's a great YouTube channel um, that he had been to Portland and seen it done correctly. So I do believe that it's possible to do it correctly, but um, it's certainly not common. Let me use Portland as an example. 
for the this last question I want to ask you because I I feel like the I feel like the um, the tension that I always get into with transit advocates and transit planners and and and, and other people who really want to see more trains built, <laughs> particularly, is the phasing question. What do we do first, and how should we lead? And and I I feel like your video points out really well that. This is not an either or or a first and they, they they go together. The land use and transit goes together. Agreed. I get it. But I look at Portland and I see Portland held up as like an example of a city doing this really well. I've been to Portland and I've seen lots of transit stops with nothing around them. We made the investment and now we're going to develop it, but it's been decades later and it's still not developed. I also see in Portland how their radical upzoning in a transit-oriented development mindset has not only resulted in the tower next to a single-family home kind of thing that, that we see in other places, but it's actually stagnated the single-family home market because single-family homes are not worth, they're, they're not worth turning into a duplex or a quad unit or responding incrementally to the density because you've got this massive or the demand because you have this massive transit investment now the only really viable thing for that is a tower and so it will sit there and stagnate for 10 years 20 years uh, until someone buys it and does the you know the really intense thing there talk a little bit about phasing and I, i'm particularly interested in how you would do phasing in the netherlands you mentioned a couple of new towns that were built and how they turned out differently than what you would expect to see here. Why does that happen that way? Do you know? I mean, I, I'm assuming it's more than just a culture. I'm assuming that, you know, there's, there's, there's something going on behind the scenes that actually delivers this as more of a complete product than, you know, the bifurcation that we have here. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say that the Netherlands does it perfect every time, but there have been, um, whole towns here that have been built on reclaimed land and neighborhoods that were built on reclaimed land. And these are all new, brand new. Uh, and, and in the case of Iberg, it was built in 2014, I believe it was. When you say reclaimed land, you're talking about former Literally ocean, taken from right? the sea. Yes. Yeah. Literally, okay. Like where most of the Netherlands comes from. <laughs> right. Right. So let's, I just uh, want to make sure we're talking about the same, because I, I think a lot, when we say reclaimed land here, it's like, well, this used to be a landfill or this used to be. Right. Like it a, used to be a, a gas site. station or something. Yeah. 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 No, exactly. So reclaim from the sea land. Um, but it does mean that there's actually quite a few places here in the Netherlands that are new, um, that are very new. And, and they build them um, this way. I mean, I mean, why do they do it this way? It's, it's, a, it's a wide range of, of, well, there's even regulations in the, in the case of the Netherlands that they try to preserve farmland, for instance, because actually the Netherlands is a very large agricultural uh, country. And so that there are, you know, just as, as, uh, as developers' hands are tied in, in um, the United States around having to build things in a car dependent way. And sometimes you're having to build things in a don't destroy the farms kind of way or allow there to be uh, farms here still kind of way. So there is, there is an element of that. Um, but, but it really comes down to like practicality. If you're building a new city or you're building a new neighborhood, you're going to move a bunch of people into it. And ultimately those people need to connect to the rest of the city. And those people are going to have transportation needs. And so there is a, typically a transportation option that is built alongside any new development 
that is scaled to what they believe to be the needs of that development, at least for the near future. Um, so in the case of Iberg, they had talked about making it a metro for what it's worth, and they decided to make it a tram. And there were various people that said that was the wrong decision and that it's going to be quite busy. What they did is they started out with a tram and then they've added a second tram to the end of it, right? They've, they made it a train tram, if you will. And, uh, and, and so that carries more people. They run the trams a little bit more often. I mean, you can move a lot of people on a tram. That has been successful, and there is still a housing crisis here as well, and they are they still have a need for more, and so they are extending it. They're they're reclaiming more land from the sea farther down from from that tram line, and and they're going to to build upon that. In terms of the staging, I think actually a city that did it well was Ottawa in Canada. Um, I lived there on an internship in the '90s, and they had built a BRT system, and uh, and that BRT system had its own right of way, and it was built to cover the needs of Ottawa, but that was back in the 90s. And a few years ago, they converted that BRT to a, a light rail line using that right of way. Um, and I mean, that's tricky because that does get expensive and now it's another big, huge project that can be shot down, that can be um, you know cut back in various different ways that can get BRT creep or LRT creep, as they say, where they start to pick little pieces off of it to make it less efficient than it should be. But I, I think they, that Ottawa did fairly well with that. Um, they ran into their own problems with their LRT related to the fact that nobody remembered how to build a train anymore. And it was the blind leading the blind. But uh, but but the idea here, there is that they were able to do that. They were able to say, like, this is a BRT and we're going to make it useful. We're going to make it go where you want to go. It goes through the downtown. It, it connects to various neighborhoods. They built some density around it. It became quite popular. And then it outgrew BRT-ness and had to become an LRT. And I think that's an entirely possible. Um, but when we're talking about North America, of course, in most cases, we're way back before that. We're not at BRT level. We're at please let a bus run more than every 45 minutes level. And and I think, you know, you mentioned this in, in your book too. Like, let, let's get some buses in here. Let's get them running more often. Let's get them to the point where you don't need to think so much about the schedule. Let we can we can then start to say okay well they're getting stuck in traffic let's at least give them some left turn lanes that they can use to to bypass some of the signals and let's start to give them sections of the road that are only for them and 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 then you can go from there um but but really what we need to do is we need to start looking at again this whole land use transit thing together we need to start looking at the places that have potential and connecting them together with transit and then we need to look at the places that have transit and figuring out some way to make them at least somewhat walkable around them. Not, not this avenues plan that Toronto does, which is insane, but actually saying, look, within 15 minutes of this station, it's all, it's all going to be this, that, whatever. Maybe it isn't towers. Maybe it isn't single family homes. But maybe they'll say it can be townhouses. It can be small apartments. It could be these kind of things. We have to start doing this because that's where a transit plan is built. And again, coming back to it, when I was asked on CBC Radio, what's the solution for Wonderland Road? There is no solution for Wonderland Road. The solution is we need to look at the whole city and we need to look at the way that people get around and the way that people live and the, the way that you can develop things. And we need to have a cohesive plan here that can build the seeds of a transit system because that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about building the seeds of a transit system that can grow over time to be something useful. And, and then we can solve Wonderland Road. I think it's a beautiful answer. I know a lot of people 
one of the curiosities of you over here in the U.S. is just your lifestyle. Can you tell us the last transit trip you took? Just as like, where, where'd you go and what'd you do? The last transit trip I took. Well, I mean, the interesting thing is here, we, we cycle an awful lot, but yeah, I, I took a transit. We'll trip talk about your last my, cycling trip. <laughs> well, and, uh, even before we get to that, I will talk about my last uh, transit trip because, because I did it with, with my kids. We went to the science museum here and, um, you know, we wanted to go out there. They're out of school now for the summer and we have uh, what are called museum cards that get us into all the museums for free. So we can pop by for a few hours anytime we want. And we took the metro there. You know, we walked over to the, the tram station. We took the, the tram up to the local metro stop. We took the metro up to Amsterdam Central. We walked to the museum. And, you know, it was the, it was the three of us. My, my wife had to work, um, but I had the off for the day because of the summer. And, yeah, that's what we did. And that's a normal thing to do, right? Like, that's a perfectly normal thing to do. But the reason why that's possible is because we live within a few hundred meters of, of a tram stop. Um, because we can, and because when we get to, the um the station we can walk to the to the science museum it's perfectly feasible thing to do even for young children yeah how's your dutch my dutch is actually getting pretty good um, yeah, I, yeah I, I, I know you've been working on it yeah and i and i've uh, <laughs> i've i'm signing up for my exams uh the they're called the nt2 exams i think i'm going to do the b1 level anybody who's familiar with the, the levels there uh, i could probably pass the b2 but i'm going to go with the b1 level and uh and then start working on naturalization process and uh, getting a Dutch passport. Well, will you do me a gratuitous favor? Will you say in Dutch, keep doing what you can to build strong town? <laughs> I, I actually don't know what I would, how I would say keep doing, because it's a very English expression, but do the good work that you do at strong towns. And uh, yeah. Thank uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Slaughter, the, the YouTube channel is not just bikes. If you're not watching it, uh, you're missing out on a ton. Uh, Jason, it's so nice to see you and to chat again. Every time your video comes out, I'm, we're, we're, we're part of your Patreon. And I get them a couple of days in advance and I always watch them. It's always good fun. Besides the YouTube channel, how can people support you? There's the Patreon. I know you've got a, a, another channel that you're dabbling in. Can you just take a couple minutes and tell people where they can get up, follow your stuff? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, obviously the best place is YouTube. It's not just bikes. If you search not just bikes, you can't miss it. It's, it's so big these days. Last month it had 8 million views. So it's, it's the first thing that Dude, pops up when you search. I am for so happy about bikes. that. It's, it's, I am it's so crazy. happy about that. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm actually really, really happy that there's so many people in, um, in North America and in other parts of the world that are opening their eyes to this stuff. Yeah. Uh, my fans call it getting orange pilled that uh, their eyes that. are yeah. open to the, <laughs> to the <laughs> and then they can never see the world the same way again, uh, which can be a good thing or a bad thing. Cause sometimes people are happy in their ignorance and, but anyway, um, so yeah, not just bikes, um, on YouTube, there's the Patreon. Uh, I put some extra videos on a service called Nebula as well. So you could sign up for Nebula, which has lots of other creators, including city beautiful. So, but yeah, search, not just bikes. You'll find me. Can't miss it. I'm on some other platforms, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, but, uh, it's mostly around YouTube. Jason, thanks so much. Uh, thanks for taking the time, especially with the time zone difference. I, appreciate it. I still plan to get over there and see you someday soon. And I hope you can make it to Brainerd. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll hang out, maybe go to Disney world together and we, we will figure it out. It'll, it'll be American good fun. Transit. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Take care. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's a story. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Oh, Magnet City! I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit, Agenda 21. Yeah.